0: So today we're actually concluding our series called Making Room for Jesus. And if you've missed some of the other sermons on this, I encourage you to go back and listen to some of it. They're available on our website, and um, you can go back and hear what we've talked about. But today we're going to conclude with this topic, making room for the baby. Make room for the baby. Don't you love that song, A Baby Changes Everything? Isn't that a great song? It's so true. If you've ever had a baby, you know it's true. A baby does change everything. And to be honest with you, I'd forgotten how big of a change happens when a baby comes until little Eli showed up. And that kid has changed everything. And as soon as he wakes up every day, he changes everything. He's, he's into everything. He's looking for anything to get into I'll be sitting in my chair in my room doing some studying and he'll come in and all of a sudden he starts just tearing everything out. He's looking for anything and everything that could possibly be interesting. But when you get a baby in your life, it does change everything and Poor Tiffany, she knew as soon as she was had conceived that this baby was here, you know, as soon as that happens, the baby begins to change the woman's body. And then when the baby is born, life changes. You begin to change uh, what you do, where you go, who you're with, the things you eat, the things you drink, how you take care of your health, your spiritual health. All of it begins to change in your life. Why? Because you've got to not just accommodate, but you've got to raise this baby in a healthy environment so your life changes. And when you realize that this baby is in your life and it's just there going, feed me. Wah! Take care of me. Clothe me. Love me. Hold me. No matter what I do to you, I expect you to love me. No matter how much I scream, no matter how much I need, I want you to love me and care for me and play with me and have fun with me. Teach me. Grow me. Why? Why do we do it? Because we see the value of a baby. And we value that life. It's a human life. You know, the baby is innocent, has a hard time communicating Eli's at a place where he sits at the table, and he just goes, ah! (laughs) And we're supposed to look around and try to figure out what he wants. We did it for at least five minutes last night, trying to hand him different things. And he's like, no, no! (laughs) Jacob ended up just handing him a spoon, and he was like, okay, that's what I wanted, just a spoon. (laughs) Made no sense to us whatsoever. And a parent who won't love and hold and feed... Provide, train, take care of their child. That's not a good parent. That's selfishly deranged as far as I'm concerned. And they haven't considered the value of this life. The question that you have to ask, well, the question that we normally ask when we consider having a baby in our life is, Do I have room for the baby? Do I have room in my home? Do I have room in my heart for another baby? Do I have room to do what I want to do with my life with this baby? Do I have room in my life for this baby? But but the challenge is, instead of asking that question, because it's really not the right question, the right question is, will I have room in my life for this baby? Will I make room in my life for this baby? That's the right question. Will I make room in my life for this baby? And when it comes to our spiritual life, it's the same. Instead of asking, well, do I have room in my life for Jesus? The proper question is, will I make room in my life for Jesus? Those are two completely different questions. Because do I have room in my life is saying, okay, do I have room in my life for Jesus? I've got this addiction. No. Will I make room in my life for Jesus with this addiction? Will I let Him come in and change me? Will I let Him come in and work in my life? Will I have this sin? Do I have room in my life for Jesus with this sin? No. The question is, will I make room in my life for Jesus with regards to this? I have this relationship. Will I make room in my life for Jesus with this relationship? I have my future. I have my goals. I have my dreams. Will I make room in my life for Jesus to accommodate for Him in my life even though this is what I want. So when it comes down to it, God could have come in so many different ways as we saw in the video. He could have come in so many different ways. He could have come like Aslan, the lion. Imagine if God had done like C.S. Lewis talked about in in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Y'all remember that? That was a great book. Imagine if he had come as as a big lion I don't know about you, but I would listen to a lion that could walk and talk and say, "Mwah, listen to me, you know. That would be pretty awesome to see a lion doing that. God could have come and done that. He could have come in in a spaceship. He could have been like, you know, base fills the sky and this beautiful spaceship comes and just, comes down and Jesus comes walking out of the spaceship and he says, I am God. I have come to teach you my ways. He could have done that and he could have set up like, you know, an amazing kingdom on this earth in that regard. Or maybe he could have come by just throwing a bunch of money down to us, you know, just raining money down on us. How many of you would like that? And he could have said, hey, I'm the rich one. I'm the wealthiest one in all of the universe. And he could have established Whoville right here on planet Earth. Or he could have set up like Santa's North Pole and it just been God's kingdom. And him saying, all right, this is how we're going to run things. This is my theocracy. This is how I'm going to do things around here. And this is how everybody needs to treat everybody. And that's what I expect. That's what he could have done. And it would have, it would have been awesome. But he didn't. He could have come like the Rock Johnson. And he could have just come out of the sky and, I'm here. And I'm going to overpower you. That's what he could have done, but he didn't. He chose to do it way different. Instead, Jesus came as a baby. And he just cried his way into this earth. Lying in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. Why? Why? And the answer to that question is the whole meaning and purpose for your life. He did it because God wants to be loved by you. Because a baby changes everything. A lion, a spaceship, a big muscular man, all of them can be powerful and strong. But a baby comes in and says, I'm hungry. Hey, feed me. Hey, I'm here. Hey, I have messed my pants and I need you. Hey, find what I want. Hey, interpret my thoughts and figure out what I want. Even though I can't communicate with you, you've got to figure it out. Hey, I'm here. You take care of me. You love me. You hold me. No matter how much I irritate you, you still get to take care of me. And Jesus came as a baby because he was saying, hey, I love you, but do you love me? Will you love me? Will you make room for me? Will you accept me into your life and take care of me and do what I like to do? A baby changes everything. That's why Jesus came as a baby. It's one thing for God to make room for you in his life. And that's what Jesus went to do. He said what? I go to prepare a place place for you. That where I am, you may be also. And if it weren't so, I wouldn't have told you so. He says, trust me. I will make room for you. The question is, will you make room for me in your life? It's a completely different thing for God to say, yes, I will make room for you compared to you saying, God, I want to make room for you. And God looking at you saying, hey, how important am I to you? How much will you love me? How much would you take care of me? How much would you gather up the idea of what I want you to accomplish on this in this earth and go and do that? How much will you do that for me? That's love for God. Jesus put it this way. He said, you know what? I'm everything. Without me, you don't have anything. And he was talking one day to the disciples and he was clarifying some teaching. They'd, he'd been out there teaching and the disciples and him walked into this, this house and, and the disciples were like, okay, Jesus, we don't really get what you just said out there. Could you teach us? Could you t- clarify to us what you were trying to say? And so Jesus told them this. He said, "All right, all right, guys, listen, are you listening? Are you really listening? And when Jesus says that, don't you know the guys were probably like, Okay, he's about to tell us something here, and they sit up, and they listen. And he said, God's kingdom is like this, a treasure hidden in a field for years and then accidentally found by a trespasser. The finder is ecstatic, what a find, and proceeds to sell everything he owns to raise money and buy that field. And he says, but it's also like this like a jewel merchant on the hunt for exquisite pearls, finding one that is flawless. He immediately sells everything that he has and buys it. What is he saying? Jesus is saying, without me, there is no other value on this planet. I am it. I am the reason that you're living. I am the purpose for your life. And if you understand this, if you listen and really are listening to what I'm saying, you'll get it, is what what Jesus was saying. He's saying, nothing you have now is worth more than what you could have with me. I'm worth you getting rid of everything for. I am the baby. I am worth you living your life for. Imagine a father or mother, though, that, that continues to just live their life as though the baby never showed up. Here's this innocent little baby that's come into this world and nobody even takes notice. Baby cries, nobody fixes, nobody takes care of, nobody goes and sees what's wrong. Dad never goes and provides for him, doesn't doesn't take ownership of this child. Or the mother just continues in a horrible lifestyle. Or in some cases, the babies get sold into even slavery. But Jesus is saying, if you're listening, if you're really paying attention, You're looking and you're going to see, here's something worth changing everything in your life over me. You see, God wanted to experience true love. So he became a baby. that sink in. He became a baby so that you could love him. The whole point of your entire existence is that you would love God. And until you love him, until you begin to express that love to him, you've missed the whole point of life. Sure, you can have fun in life, you can do a lot of things, you can get a lot done in the world, but until that happens, your life won't make sense, and you'll be frustrated. And as good as it might be at the moment, without that, none of it's going to make sense eventually. Do you care about Him? Do you care what He likes? Do you care about what He doesn't like? Do you care about the things that Jesus cares about? doing the things that He would be doing in this world? Are you so caught up in your own desires, your own needs, your own wants, and demanding your own way? You say, well, John, God doesn't want me to love Him. God doesn't care if I love Him or not. You don't understand. I have done so many bad things in my life. I've messed up so much in my life. There's no way that God cares about whether or not I love Him or not. Really? Who gave you the authority to say what God cares about? Who gave you authority to tell God, you don't care whether or not I love you? Because God does say it over and over and over in Scripture. He loves you and he wants to be loved by you. So I want to take you real quickly to uh, the story of Simon Peter, one of Jesus' friends and disciples. Peter was a rough fisherman. He was a rough character. And when Jesus came to him and said, hey, it's time for you to follow me, Peter followed him, and, and Peter went on throughout Jesus' ministry and began to love Jesus. And we know that. Why? Because love is in the trying. And when you look at the story of Peter, you see a guy that was really trying. He was trying to love Jesus. And so I want to take you to some of the things in the story that, that help you to see how this guy messed up so many times, but yet he found his way back to Christ. You see, let's take, let me start with the night that Jesus was betrayed. They were celebrating Passover, and Jesus and the disciples were in this room. And when you read the details of this story, you can actually look and see where some of the guys were sitting. So you've seen the Da Vinci picture, you know, where everybody is lined up in one big long table and everybody's, you know, making faces and they're doing all their poses and stuff that Da Vinci decided that that's what they must have looked like. Well, that's not really what it looked like. Back then, they would sit at what's called a triclinium table. So it would be shaped like this, uh, three sides, one, two, and then three. And so the disciples and Jesus were seated all around this table. Well, in the middle of of the table was the servant's spot where a, a bowl of water and different things, utensils would sit in order for them to be able to be served. The servants' place to be seated was right here where they could easily get up and begin to serve. Uh, so you have the guest of honor and, and the, the man on left and right and all of that right over here and then go down the line and the servants over here. So what's interesting is we can kind of know where different people sat in that service or in that time of whenever Jesus established the, the communion and all of all of that took place the night that Jesus was betrayed. So without getting into all of the details of it, there's there's indication that when they came into the room, Peter came over and he found himself at the servant's spot. And we know that because he had a conversation with Jesus that was between him and Jesus that didn't seem to be heard by the other people. But John, John heard it, John wrote about it. All right, so John was seated next to Jesus on one side, and then Judas on the other side of Jesus. And so this conversation takes place with those with Jesus right here. So here's Peter sitting in the servant's spot. And Jesus at one point gets up and he comes and he's going to serve himself, the guest of honor. And he gets the bowl and he gets the towel and takes off his outer cloak. And he begins to wash the disciples' feet. He goes all the way around the table until finally he gets to Peter. And what does Peter do? You may have washed those guys' feet, but you're not going to wash my feet. Master, wash my feet? I don't think so. And Jesus said, you don't understand what I'm doing now, but you will understand later. Peter persisted, you're not going to wash my feet, never. And Jesus said, look, if I don't wash you, you can't be a part of what I'm doing. Master, not only my feet, then wash my hands as well. And Jesus is like, Peter, just sit down, shut up, let me wash your feet, all right? You're making a scene. And Jesus went on to tell them, that he was about to be betrayed, and he went on to tell them. And it's a beautiful thing. If you read from chapters 13 through 17, this is uh, like the longest one-setting situation for for Jesus to sit and just talk. And he also prayed. He prayed for you and me in that, in that sitting. And, and it was the night that he was betrayed before he would be crucified the next day. And Jesus was like cramming all that he could into the disciples that night. And John did such a great job recording it. And so you've got this situation where it's, it's like Jesus is intensely communicating to these guys. And he started with this. He said, guys, let me give you a new command. Here's what I want you to hear more than anything tonight. He says, love one another. As I have loved you, so you love one another. This is how everyone will recognize that you're my disciples. Not because you're big and successful, not because you're blowing and going in the church and all that stuff. He says, because you love one another through the thick and thin and you take care of one another. This is how they're going to recognize that you're my disciples when they see your love for one another. And Simon Peter says, well, Master, where are you going? And Jesus says, well, you can't follow me where I'm going. You're going to follow later, but now you can't. Well, wait a second. The whole point of us coming with you is that we would follow you. What You told us to follow you. And you're saying we can't follow you now? And Jesus says, you will later. You're going to come later. Well, why can't we follow you now? I, lay, I would lay down my life for you, Peter says. And Jesus looks at him again and says, really? Really? Because... You'll lay your life down for me as you say? Really? Because uh, the truth is that before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times tonight. And You can imagine Peter. He's been rebuked again. So later that night, in the Garden of Gethsemane, remember Jesus was over there praying intensely. And he's begged these guys. Peter, James, and John are there in the garden. Guys, pray with me. You'll be tempted. This is a big deal. Tonight is a life-changing night. Pray with me. Watch and pray. And they kept falling asleep. All of a sudden, soldiers come in. The chief priest comes in. And the chief priest's servants are there as well. And Peter looks at the situation and he says, you know what, Jesus said that I wouldn't die for him, that I would deny him. Here's my opportunity. I'm going to show him. He pulls out his sword and he takes a swing at one of the servants of the chief priest. And the chief priest's servant ducked just enough and it went whack right across his ear, chopped his ear off. Now understand, Peter is... He's declared war here. He's ready to die for Jesus. He's ready, and, it, and he didn't just threaten. He pulled his sword out, and he whacked. That's like not just pulling a gun, but it's shooting the gun. It is shooting. It is dealing with something in a way that is very offensive and threatening, and he was ready for war. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa! everybody stop, everybody chill out for just a second. Whoa, Peter, put your sword away, soldiers, stay where you are. And he reaches down and he picks up the ear and he's like, all right, everybody, hold on just a second. Here's your ear. And he puts it right back on the guy and it's like healed immediately. And Jesus is like, okay, I'm the one that they've come for. Everybody else chill out. I'm going to go peacefully. And he did. Peter is like what just happened what just happened I don't understand this so Jesus through the night is in a trial justice miscarries he's being beaten publicly and Peter was confused you can imagine how distraught he was he's trying to figure out man I've tried to love Jesus but I keep messing it up He's trying to make sense of everything. And you can imagine him trying to figure out what did Jesus want? He doesn't want me to fight for him. I tried that. That disappointed him. He healed the guy. I cut his ear off. He doesn't want me to wash his feet. And he got frustrated with me because I wouldn't let him wash my feet. What does Jesus want? He kept messing it up. But guess what? Love is in the trying, right? Peter kept trying. And now he's over there being beaten. How do I love him? How do I, t- I don't even know what to do in this situation. And you see, Peter was there because one of the other disciples had access into the courtyard. It doesn't say which one, but the other disciple had access, and he got Peter in there. And Peter wanted to be there. He wanted to see what was happening and be there for Jesus if he could, but he didn't know how to be there for Jesus. You can just hear the frustration. And as he goes into the courtyard, the person at the gate, that, that as, as Peter was being led in, the, the lady says, hey, wait a second, aren't you one of his disciples? Oh, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not. That's number one. He goes in and he's standing there and the scripture says that he's standing there warming his hands by a fire. There were a bunch of people that were warming their hands by this fire and they were, it was chilly out. And all of a sudden they look up and say, aren't you one of his disciples? No, no, I don't know him. Really? Really? Then one of the chief priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, said, Didn't I see you in the garden with him? Aren't you the one that cut my my relative's ear off? And again, Peter denied it. And just that moment, a rooster crowed. You can imagine Peter. I thought I was willing to fight for him. I thought I was willing to die for him. What happened? How could I have done this? James, David, would you come? And so Luke records a more detailed look at what happened. And I want to take you to that more detailed look because there's, there's one key thing in there that I think is important. You know who Dr. Luke was? Dr. Luke wasn't a disciple. He was a doctor. And he came to Christ because his patients and people in the community were talking about some guy raising from the dead after being dead for three days. And he was like, what? That's medically impossible. Who raises from the dead? So Dr. Luke went around interviewing the disciples, Mary, whoever he could find that was a follower of Jesus that had seen him. And that's why we have the book of Luke in the Bible. But I would wager that the account that I'm about to read to you probably came directly from Peter himself. And I want to read it to you. Arresting Jesus, they marched him off and took him into the house of the chief priest. Peter followed, but at a safe distance. Can you read into that? That Peter loved Jesus, he just didn't know how. He didn't want to leave him. He wanted to help. He wanted to be there for him, but he just didn't know how. And he messed it up time and time again. And Jesus made no bones about it. Peter was always saying stuff to stick his foot in his mouth and disappoint and mess up. But Jesus knew he loved him. Here he is following at a safe distance. In the middle of the courtyard, some people had started a fire and were sitting around it trying to keep warm. One of the serving maids sitting at the fire noticed him, then took a second look and said, Hey, this man was with him. He denied it. Woman, I don't even know him. A short time later, someone else noticed him and said, You're one of them. But Peter denied it. Man, I am not. About an hour later, someone else spoke up, really adamant. Now, look at what it says there. An hour later. So he's had time to stop and think, man, I should not have told these people that I didn't know Jesus. And they said, he's got to have been with him. He's a Galilee. He's got Galilean written all over him. And Peter said, man, I don't even know what you're talking about. At that very moment, the last word hardly off his lips, a rooster crowed. Just then, the master turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine being Peter in that moment? And he remembered what the master said. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me. Three times, and he went out and he cried, and he cried, and he cried. He loved. First moment in Jesus' life. Peter, this guy that tried and tried and tried and failed and failed and failed. And now he's crying. And it's interesting that the morning of the resurrection, when Peter first learned, there's scripture that says that when Peter first learned that Jesus was no longer in the tomb, it says he immediately jumped up ran to the tomb and there's not a lot of record of that we just know that he did that and here's what we also know that at some point that morning resurrection morning Jesus appeared to Peter we don't know anything other than that we don't, we don't have record of a conversation all we have is that Peter saw Jesus Resurrection morning. There was no reconciliation. It was just an awkward moment. You ever had one of those? The last time they'd looked at each other's eyes was when Peter denied him. And so we come to the story in John chapter 21. Peter is hanging out with the disciples and he says, Hey guys, I'm going to go fishing. Anybody want to go with? Six of the guys get on the boat with him and they spend the night fishing and they don't catch a thing. So it's early in the morning and they look up and there's a man standing on the beach. They don't know who he is. And the guy yells out, Hey, did you guys catch anything? No, not a thing. Why don't you drop your net on the right side of the boat? And almost in a reflex, I guess, because Jesus had done this to them before. They just, all right. Why would you do that for a guy that you don't even know who it is? But they did it. And all of a sudden, the net was full. John looks at Peter and goes, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. And it's really interesting when you read this. You can go back and read it for yourself. You know how when you're at a party maybe and and somebody that you're in real big conflict walks in and all of a sudden you think, "Oh man, what am I going to do? They're here." You feel that pit in your stomach? You've unresolved conflict with this person and there they are. What do you do? You just start getting busy. Is there someone I can talk to? Is there, is there a, is there a trash I can take out? Is there a toilet I can clean somewhere? <laughs> Anything, but have to face this person that I have this conflict with. And and as you read this, it's almost as if that's what's happening here. Is Peter? Peter just begins to get busy, and it's really funny because it says that he had to put his clothes on. It's probably not the kind of guy that I want to go fishing with. So for whatever reason, it says he was working through the night and he took his clothes off. It's a pretty funny read. And So he put his clothes on, and then for whatever reason, we don't have a clue why, but it says he jumped into the water. He just got busy. While everybody else started moving towards the shore and started gathering up towards Jesus was, then it says eventually he got back into the boat and was working and doing some stuff. Then eventually Peter brought the fish, the net with the fish up. I don't know what that looked like. It had to be heavy brought the fish up to to the shore, and they cooked, and they were able to. And you can imagine how awkward it was. Peter was just trying to stay busy. He's over here cutting fish, whatever needs to happen in order for them to be able to eat. And Jesus is there, and he's having a good time with the guys. This is post-resurrection. It had to be an amazing moment for these guys. And after they eat, Jesus is like, okay, it's time. And he looks at Peter, and he says, Simon Peter, I have a question for you. And of all the things he could have asked, he asked the most important question that God wants to know from every one of us. He said, Simon Peter, do you love me? you know I love you. You know it. Then feed my sheep. Do what I like. Show me. Do what I like. Simon Peter, do you love me? He asked him a second time. Jesus, you know I love you. You know I love you. Simon Peter, do you love me? Jesus, you know I love you, and you know that that just immediately just ripped him. Because he had the chance of saying it three times. Jesus gave him the opportunity to be restored. And he told him again, do what I love. Feed my sheep. Take care of my people. Just a few weeks later, it was the day of Pentecost. Peter and all the disciples and whoever would were gathered in this room, probably the same room that they were in for the Lord's Supper. all of a sudden the house shook a violent wind noise came through tongues of fire came and rested on each of their heads and the Holy Spirit fell on that house and God's Spirit celebrated the opportunity to have relationship with humankind like never before so much so that the community thought everybody was drunk. They heard the noise. And Peter walks outside and he says, Folks, we're not not drunk like you suppose. Peter got up and he preached his first sermon. With God's anointing and God's spirit on him, God restored him and said, Because you love me, use your gifts, use your talents, do whatever it takes to take care of my people. And and boy, did Peter do that for the rest of his life. And when Peter died, they crucified him. He said, no, I'm not going to die like my Lord Jesus. I don't deserve that. Hang me upside And you need to know this. The way back to God is not through lighting a candle, praying a certain prayer. The way back to God is that you decide to love Him. And when Jesus came as a baby, He said, love me. I love you it's your chance. Will you love me? And that's what this whole thing is about. That's what your whole life is about. Whether or not you're going to love it. And if you miss that, you've missed the whole purpose of your life. But if you get it, your whole life will make sense and be meaningful. Would you bow your heads? Do you love him? care about what he likes and doesn't like? Have you made room for him as a baby? Sure, it's one thing to say, God, you're all powerful and awesome, and I'm going to obey you because you're so awesome and powerful. But it's another thing for you to say, God, I'm going to love you like I would love a baby. I'm going to take care of what you like and don't like, and I embrace what you want, and give you my life. I will change my life for you, because a baby changes everything. So Lord Jesus, we come to you today, and we thank you for the opportunity to love. And help us, oh God, as we go into Christmas, have this full understanding that that's why you came as a baby. And help us as we move into a new year to make some changes and to do some things that will allow us to express our love to you more. Maybe you're here today and you have not accepted Christ into your life. You've not chosen to love him. You say, well, John, he hasn't chosen to love me. Yes, he has. Yes, he has. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. That's not the question. The question is, will you love him? Will you make room for him? And you can do that right where you are. Just welcome him into your life. Make room for him. God, I give you my heart. Jesus' name. I choose to love you today. Amen. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to give you an opportunity. If you say, man, I gave my heart to Christ today. He's my God from this day forward. Right where you're at, would you just look up at me until my eyes catch yours?